Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Uh, What we've seen so far as we're in Matthew chapter 5 is that Jesus fulfills the law. Matthew 5.17, right? I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. And so we've seen that. He does it perfectly, and because of that, we are perfect in the eyes of God through faith in him. He fulfills the law, and now for the rest of Matthew chapter 5, we see that he ups the ante in the law. He intensifies the law. That's really from verses 21 all the way to the end of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48. He intensifies the law. And so, really, for us to understand Matthew 5, 21 through 48, um, let me give a little bit of um, pretextual disclaimer of what this text is all about. Really, six different times in these verses, Jesus says this similar phrase that maybe you're familiar with. You have heard it said, but I tell you. Maybe you're familiar with this. He says that six times. Six times in Matthew 5, he intensifies the law. You've heard it said, but I tell you. And for the first three, Jesus looks under the action which the law addresses. And he speaks to the heart behind the action. Murder is really from a heart of hate. Divorce really comes from the earlier sin of adultery in the heart. And adultery, actually, the act of adultery, is really from lust in the heart. You've heard it said regarding actions, but I tell you, I want to go under and look at the heart, the motivator, the engine behind pushing forward the action. So today, I want us to spend some time considering the first of these six. That is that murder is rooted in a deeper, uglier, and murder's ugly. Deeper, uglier, toxic heart problem. Hate. It's the engine that drives. It's the motive behind. So let me read the passage and we will walk through it today. Matthew 5, 21, going through verse 26. This is what the Word of God says. You've heard it said to those of old that you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quicker, quickly with your accuse, accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison." Truly I say to you, you will never get out 
until you have paid the last penny. Let's walk through this text together this morning and consider what it has to say for us. Jesus, he doesn't start with the internal sin of hate, does he? No, he starts with the action that hate can grow into. Murder. Right? This is verse 21. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now let's consider this verse because this verse is not void. It's not null. And he didn't come to abolish verse 21 and replace it with verse 22. He intensifies, not abolishes. So this is still true. Murder is wrong, right? Jesus only wants to talk, into the, talk about the heart behind it, but we still need to consider the action itself. And it's important here to remember that while all sins are equal in their spiritual effect, that is that every sin can separate and will separate us from a holy God. All sins are equal in their spiritual effect when it comes to our relationship with a holy God. It separates us. But this is where sometimes we just stop thinking we've got that part but we also need to consider that sins do differ in their physical effect on the world and in the world thus having varying degrees of civil consequences you shouldn't have the same consequence for murder and littering right both breaking the law thus both sinning thus both separating us from a holy god but different in their effect physically on the world around us and thus deserving varying degrees of consequences in civil court, right? I'll give you an example from the Old Testament Israel civil law. A misdemeanor, right? I'm using our kind of language here. A misdemeanor such as stealing a person's ox, okay? It would lead to a minor infraction, that you have to pay a fine that is five times the value of the ox you stole. Pay the fine and you're good. Exodus 22, verse 1. Not there yet. But a felony, right? Not a misdemeanor, a felony. That is murder. That would deserve capital punishment. The greatest severity, the death penalty. There are varying degrees of consequences to the varying degrees of sins in Old Testament civil law. Murder has always been held as a capital offense deserving of death. Murder has always deserved that. This was the law when God established a world government, theocratic Israel, right? Exodus 20. 1 verse 12, if we've got it. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. This was the law that God put in place when he established a world government. But this was even his official stance for all mankind before Israel was ever a thing. Before Abraham 
ever walked the planet. You can go back to Genesis 9. This is before theocratic Israel. Genesis chapter 9. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. It's the death penalty. For God made man in his own image. You see, it deserves such a high stake because it is marring and destructing the very image of our creator. This wasn't just a thing for theocratic Israel at a temporary point in time. This was a thing for all mankind that God would state back in Genesis chapter 9. And capital punishment still remains a God-given right for modern-day governments to execute if deemed worthy to do so. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. Hear these words. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. That's a phrase used. You can do a word study through the Bible regarding capital punishment. Go to the book of Acts and you can see this. He does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoers. God has given this even to modern day governments to act out. Capital punishment still remains a God-given right to those authorities. Now, capital punishment can be a messy deal in practice, right? Was he guilty? Was he not? He said, he said she said, it can be messy in practice. But it is crystal clear in principle in the Bible. The existence of unjust executions, they do happen without a doubt, But the existence of unjust executions is not a reason to abolish capital punishment, but to reform the process. Now, when we're talking about murder here in verse 21, it's only fitting that we would grieve that our nation is so twisted by sin that it doesn't punishment, that it doesn't punish some murder. In fact, it excuses and celebrates a lot of murder through abortion. Something we, as the people of God, need to consider. Let me read a couple statistics. 930,000 lives killed in the United States in 2020 to abortion alone. I can't even fathom 930,000 thousand people murdered. And it's not gone. I think just because some legislation has passed, we think, oh, we've won the war. Hear me. Abortion's not gone. Far from it. 
It is not illegal in any state in its entirety. In fact, in this year alone, 2023, approximately 862,000 lives have been murdered through abortion. We're not at the end of the year. It's not gone. It's not time to celebrate yet. It's so common and so regular that it's said that one out of four adult women in the United States have had an abortion. It's that statistically high. 2 things that we need to know about abortion. Don't check out during the first and miss the second. The first thing is that this is murder. Clearly, it is murder. And murder still merits severe consequences according to the Bible. Spiritually and civilly, it should. This is true for the doctor doing it. And true for the mom requesting it. That's when a lot of people bow out. No, punish the doctor, but not the woman that went and asked for it. Hear me. It's murder, and murder deserves a severe consequence. I think it's the modern normalization of abortion in this pagan world that makes us uncomfortable to think that it deserves death. Just because we're so normalized to it that we should be more sympathetic to it. It is still the marring and the destruction of an image bearer of an awesome and holy God. That's the first thing we need to know about abortion. The second thing is that there is mercy and there is full pardon. Not partial, full pardon. Regardless of the sin including abortion and any other kind of murder given by our good God. There is. And maybe you need to hear that one. You may still need to face justice under civil law, just like any other illegal sin. But if you run to Jesus, your soul can be free from all guilt. any associated shame. Maybe you're carrying that with you. Jesus frees you from it. Run to Jesus. He is a gracious Savior. And so up to this point, verse 21, even the Pharisees would be saying, Amen! Amen! Murder is wrong and it deserves punishment. But Jesus wants to go back. And back up a little bit and go deeper than the act of murder. He focuses on the heart behind the action. And that's probably when they're like, uh, mm, what, uh, what'd you, what are you saying? Verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. <laughs> whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. It's there that they probably jumped off the, the bandwagon. And maybe you do too. I heard a lot of amens with the abortion thing, but hear me, you're in the same lot if you've hated and you have. Amen? Amen. Imagine their shock. Guilty if you've hated? 
guilty if you've been angry unjustly. They didn't realize that he wasn't talking about civil court, but a heavenly court answering to a holy God. By going to the heart of the sin, Jesus corrects two mistakes that I think we all make, that they were making and that we make today still. In saying what he said in verse 22, he corrects two mistakes. The first one is that we see God's rules, his laws, his commandments as just a line that we can walk up to, but we just can't cross. Murder is that line. We can walk up to it, just can't cross it. And he's correcting that. He says, my commandments are not just a line that you can walk up to and not cross. Right? They were thinking, well, as long as I don't fill in the blank, God won't be mad at me. Right? I won't murder, but I can scoff. I can judge. I won't kill him. I can snicker. Even if they see eh, sticks and stones, right? I can cold shoulder him out of spite. That'll show him. I didn't cross that line. I didn't cross that line, so God can't be mad at me. I can't commit adultery. I know. But I can imagine. (laughs) And I've got a good imagination. I can fantasize. I've got a lot of those. I can daydream and wonder, what if? I didn't commit adultery. You see, Jesus is correcting this idea that there's this line that as long as we don't cross it, we're good. He's saying, no, 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 no. No, no, no. And we do this all the time. That wasn't just them then. That's us now. We look at the line. We know we can't cross it, but we sure do flirt with it, don't we? It's as early as childhood. I learned this when we became a parent, parents. That uh, Jesus, uh, Judah, <laughs> Judah would just come up and just touch his little brother all over. We're like, back up, back up, buddy, back up, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? What's he do? Puts his hand right next to his face, and he's just looking at me like, "This good, Dad? You good? You good with this?" I didn't touch him. It's as early as childhood, but we don't grow out of it. In fact, you and I do, do it just, just as bad, if not worse. But we do it with things that, that have a far more deadly consequence to them. We flirt with much more dangerous of lines. The truth is that we're not in danger when we cross that line and we act. We're in danger 50 steps before that because our heart is leading us there. Things don't turn bad when you've slept with that person. It was bad months ago when you started going out to lunch with them and flirting. Right? It didn't turn bad when you punched them in the face. It was bad months ago when you started bottling up that anger. God's commandments are not lines that we just can't cross but we can flirt with. Second mistake that we make that Jesus is really correcting here in verse 22 is that we think sin is only skin deep. 
says, no, 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 far from it. This is what we say. We say, I shouldn't kill. I shouldn't tell a lie. I shouldn't act on sexual temptation. And all of that is absolutely true. You should not do those things. But then we go on to say, I can't control my feelings. I I can't control my desires. They're just my desires. They're just my feelings. What am I going to do about that? And since I can't do anything about it, I can't be held accountable for those things. And it's there that the Bible says, huh? Come again? That's a paraphrase, but roughly, that's what it's saying. Here's the truth out of God's Word. You can, and you are, in fact, expected to have control over your emotions. You are, and you can. Philippians 4 Verses 4 through 6. These aren't empty words. They actually mean something. When he says, rejoice. That's a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. It's a positive command to demand of your emotions. Rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. These are commands and commands of your emotions, not just actions. You can and you are expected to have control over your emotions, but secondly, you can and you are expected to run from evil desires, not just evil actions. Look at what Second Peter says in verse 1, chapter 1. Verse 4, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Wow. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of what? Sinful desires. Listen to me. You've escaped from that. Your bonds have been broken, not in just the actions, but even in the internal. You are a new creation now expected to have holy desires and to fight the evil desires, not just evil actions. And this is all possible because he has given us a new nature through his divine spirit within us. In fact, I would go one further, and I would say that the internal heart matters and takes precedent, precedence over the external actions. The internal takes precedence over external matters. He didn't come and die primarily so that you'd have behavior modifications. He wants your behavior to be modified through his spirit, but he didn't come and die primarily that you would have behavior modification He came and died and sent His Spirit that we would be transformed from the inside out. When you want to get rid of a a weed, you don't rip off the little petals. You rip it from the root. 
when you want to treat the water, you don't treat it downstream, you treat it upstream. Transformation from the inside out, not the outside in. This is God's design for even our own faith. I appreciate what John Piper says. I think he says it well. And he says, new passions lead to new conduct. And if you try to turn that around, you don't have Christianity anymore. So, Jesus corrects these mistakes. It's not just about murder, not just about not crossing a line. It's about the internal. The internal is equally a sin. And then he spells out what this will look like practically in our lives to stomp out hate, kill that ungodly anger in our lives. This is verses 23 through 26. Let me read it again. So, now he's going into practicalities here. Application. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Okay. Notice two points based on what Jesus says here in the application section. Firstly, notice whose anger we need to care about and deal with. Whose anger do we need to deal with? Well, obviously our own, for sure. That's verse 22, right? If you're angry, you'll be liable to judgment. Deal with your own anger. But verse 23, in fact, actually doesn't say your own. You need to deal with your brother's anger. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, he's the one that's angry. So yes, we should deal with our own anger, but we need to deal with our neighbor's anger as well. Hmm. Think about this. Knowing the judgment that anger incurs. Verse 22, judgment, the hell of fire. Knowing what anger incurs upon a person, we should work so that no one would face that. So if you see your brother or sister in faith, or your spouse bottling up this resentment towards another person, help them out. Because that will kill their soul. Help them out, especially if you're the cause of their anger. If they have something against you, the text says. So can we just get really practical here? Do you know, truly, do you know Someone who is angry because of something that you've done or said right now. Think about that. I think some of us, we care a lot if someone's mad at us, right? We care a lot. We can't sleep. We can't eat. It makes us sick to our stomach until that's dealt with. Others of us, we deal with it pretty well. <laughs> right? We couldn't care less, in fact, that somebody would be mad at me. We're like ducks. It just rolls off our back, right? It's easy to rule them off. I'm no loss in my life, and I'm not going to lose one second of sleep over it. 
We say that with pride. The text says, if someone has something against you, it's on you to go make it right. Because right now, they're dealing with something that can damn their soul because of you. You should lose some sleep over it. You should go make it right. I should go make it right. We should care not only about our own anger, but other people's anger. Jesus says you need to care that we might humble ourselves and go make it right. Be the bigger person. So that's the first thing he talks about is whose anger we need to deal with. Secondly is when do we need to deal with anger? Immediately. Verse 25 and 26 is, he says, reconcile before it blows up and gets out of hand. Come to terms quickly. Otherwise, it might blow up and end up with you in jail. Deal with it quickly before it blows up and gets out of hand. Verse 23 and 24, it says, reconcile even before, get this, even before you would come and worship God on Sunday. So if your brother has something against you, you're offering, sorry, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. I remember I was at a missions trip uh, when I was a teenager and we took communion. We're sitting in a big circle and uh, it was a service and small small church, we were taking communion, and the speaker said, before we take this, I don't want you to take it um, in an unworthy manner when you have something against another person or they have it against you, and so we're going to sit here in silence until people get up and have the courage to go across the room and make it right right now. <laughs> and he was serious. He sat there for probably 15 minutes. Eventually, one man got up, walked across the room, sat down and started talking. Sometime later, they hugged, and we took communion. Wow. Maybe you need to hear this. If you're here, and you're seeking God, you're raising your hands, and you are pleading for God to act and to help, but you know that there's tension between you and another Christian. Can I just speak as boldly as Jesus speaks here? Don't expect God to move in your life until you try to resolve that. Why? Why would I say that? Why would Jesus say this? Because hate doesn't stop at a horizontal level. It infects and spreads and deflates your communion with God. So he says, go deal with that. Otherwise, your vertical is totally going to be affected, infected. So I don't know where this text hits you this morning. Um, maybe there's a physical sin that you've committed. You feel there's a no way that you can be forgiven. Or maybe there is an internal sin that's hidden from other people, but it's eating you alive all the same. Let me just say to everyone, 
There is a God who loves, who forgives, and really forgives. Not one of those superficial, yeah, I forgive you. Yeah, he really forgives. He redeems and he makes new. Run to him this morning. I think one of the most encouraging Bible characters is the man on the cross next to Jesus. He lived a life of sin, horrible things. He's on the cross for a reason. And he didn't do anything to make up for it, to reverse it, to redeem his wrongs. And maybe you feel like there's nothing you can do to reverse what you've done. He couldn't either. And yet he placed his faith in Christ and just like that, he was pure with no guilt to walk around with, no shame to carry. He was in paradise with God, pure in the sight of God. That can be you through faith today. Don't walk with the burden that hate brings in your life. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 